Welcome to the Librarian Influencers Podcast. Each week, our host, Dr. Laura Shinneman, dives deep into school library topics to help you build your skills and take charge of your own professional development. Her mission is to create an environment where librarians flourish and become lifelong learners. Now, on to today's podcast. I'd like to welcome everyone to the Librarian Influencers Podcast, and I'm very excited to have Sarah Scholl with us today. So Sarah, go ahead and tell us a little bit about where you are in America and a little bit about your library experience. All right. Well, thank you, Laura, so much for having me. Um, I am in Maryland, um, and I started in 2005 as an ILA teacher in sixth grade and absolutely loved my job teaching reading and writing. Um, I've always been a reader, and even as an adult, I've always been drawn to juvenile and young adult literature. So my heart truly does belong in middle school. Ah. Um, yeah, so when it, time to, when it came time to get my master's degree, I knew that I didn't wanna be a school administrator. My dad's a school administrator. I know what that life looks like, um, but I really enjoyed instructional technology. And so I looked into programs related to that field. Mm -hmm. um, and I found a master's program at Towson University here in Maryland that's for instructional technology with a concentration in school library media. Okay. So that when I graduated, I would have a K-12 library certification for my state. Okay. Um, and since Maryland requires school librarians to have a master's degree, it seemed like it'd be a good fit. Um, I knew this would open up more opportunities with the technology background since I still wasn't 100% sure at the time whether or not I wanted to leave my ILA classroom or uh, my school to be able to work in a library because those positions are, are kind of rare sometimes. Yeah. Um, but right at the time that I was finishing my library program, the librarian at my school decided she was ready to retire. Okay. And I absolutely love my school. So I decided to apply for that particular position and ended up being hired, which was really lucky to be able to be hired right within my building and then transition to a role that was new, but with all of the support of my coworkers with whom I had established relationships with during my time as a sixth grade teacher. Okay. Um, so I'm currently in my ninth year as a school librarian um, and I work in a school with grades six through eight. And I do just wanna clarify, um, districts in Maryland are organized by county. So they're pretty large. Uh, mine has eight middle schools and we have over 35,000 students in pre-K through 12. Okay. And secondary librarians work on a flexible schedule. So I work with teachers to co-plan and co-teach projects and lessons. And I fit them in based on the availability of my teaching schedule. Okay. So do you, do you happen to have a, like a paraprofessional or whatever they might call that? Or are you totally on your own? We have um, library technicians. And so that would kind of be the equivalent of, of a paraprofessional. Okay. Um, and we have... Techni library technicians part-time. So I am actually, um, we just transitioned into a new school building. They rebuilt our middle and high school and merged them into one giant building. Mm -hmm. So our technician was previously split between the high school and the middle school. But now that we're all in one building and all in one library, we have someone full-time, even though technically her position is split between two schools. Okay, that makes sense. All right. So nine years, that's, that's a good, you've got a good, strong foundation now and a lot of experience behind you. What, what do you remember about the times when you first started out? Oh, well, I think, <laughs> um, I think I spent a lot of time at the beginning cleaning out 
um, (laughs) there's always a lot of things that the person before you leaves behind. Uh I think as librarians, we're also kind of secret hoarders. Uh, It's in our nature to want to archive things. And so it can be tough to get rid of something because you might need it one day. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe it's just me, but it seems like I inherited a good amount of stuff. So I I feel (laughs) like I did a lot of cleaning out. Okay. Um, I also spent a lot of time reworking and updating lesson plans. I've never been somebody who does the same exact thing every year. I'm always kind of tweaking things and making changes. So I spent a good amount of time just modifying or totally overhauling lessons from the curriculum. Um, And at the time, our curriculum was pretty outdated. So I spent a lot of time working um, on those things as well. Um, And I read a lot. I read a ton because I wasn't quite um, doing as much teaching as I probably am now. Mm-hmm. So I had a little bit more time for some of the reading okay. and the librarians before me had done a really good job keeping a current collection, but they hadn't always done a good job of weeding out some of the older materials. Okay. Um, and I didn't really tackle the weeding until about five years into my time in the library. Once I got to know the collection a little bit better, mm-hmm. um, but spending all that time reading allowed me to be able to make better recommendations for students and teachers and pull items um, because then I only had to familiarize myself with the things that I was purchasing after I got familiar with what was already there. Yeah, good point. Now you mentioned the word curriculum. Does your state have a curriculum for libraries? We have um, state standards. There's not a specific curriculum that's whole state Mm -hmm. uh, or for the whole state. Um, We do have district curriculum. So we use the state standards. And at this point, we've mostly just adopted the national standards since the new ones were updated a couple, you know, a couple years ago. Um, and we apply those national standards to our, our district curriculum. Okay. So, but, and you have district library curriculum? Yes. Okay. See, that's, I, I don't hear that too often from people. So kudos to y'all for doing, I'm sure that meant that y'all had to create that. Yes. Yeah. Um, and you know, that, that curriculum, um, was established before I was a librarian. And then I work as a a part of the curriculum team. We work over the summer and make updates. And um, we did a a pretty big overhaul recently, especially with those new standards when they were published. So Mm -hmm. we do work to keep it up to date and current as well. Oh, that's awesome. Very good. All right. So when you're thinking back, Sarah, to the beginning, um, most of my listening audience is early career professionals. So when you think back when you were early career, do you have any advice that you wish you had known? Um, well, going back to that cleaning out, um, get rid of the old lesson plans from the previous person. <laughs> you probably won't use them. Okay. I know that was the case even as an I in an ILA in my ILA classroom. I came in and there was two filing cabinets full of stuff. And I, you know, maybe picked and pulled things on occasion, but in the end, most of it just sat there and I never even looked at it. Yeah. So it just takes up space okay. um, that you would probably use for something else. Yeah. Good point. Um, I think another thing that's really important is to give yourself time to get to know the school and your students and the faculty. Um, It takes time to learn the curriculum and all the other content areas and what your school community really needs. And spending the time to work and build those relationships right from the start makes co-teaching and planning easier. It makes getting help from other people with projects easier. It makes it easier for teachers to feel comfortable taking a risk instructionally Mm-hmm. if they're not your typical library partner. Okay. Um, also find other new teachers, right? <laughs> you guys can be a lifeline for each other. Um, 
they also tend to be more likely to want to co-teach or plan because they're already kind of overwhelmed with all of the things that go along with being new. And so, you know, having a new teacher as a partner um, where you can co-plan and work together can be a really great uh, starting out resource. Very good. That's strategic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, the other thing I think, you know, when you're new, you don't really think about advocacy. Um, but that doesn't always mean like getting up on the soapbox and telling everybody how much more money you might need. Hmm. Uh, sometimes it just means showing up for things, um, re-educating people with your actions and what you do every day for your students and faculty. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you don't have to be the, the angry loud librarian all the time. Um, and if you want to die, I know you, you know, most librarians, they want to dive in and they want to try all the things all at once. And it's okay to just take a step back and give yourself time. Mm -hmm. I think that's the hardest part is to be patient and give it time to kind of settle in. Yeah, very good points. All right. Okay, so let's fast, fast forward to now. Um, we're still in the pandemic time. So what are you doing or what is Maryland doing? Are y'all face-to-face? Are you remote or hybrid? What are y'all doing right now with school? So every district right now is making their own um, guidelines for how they want to run. Okay. So every every county has a, their school board makes the decision about who, who's face to face or how how often um, students are coming into the building. Okay. So a couple of months, uh, maybe not a couple of months, but a, a month or two ago, um, we were partially face to face. Currently, we're 100% online. Oh, okay. Um, so we are in, we were in a modified face-to-face -face setting for about a month and a half. Um, they were in the process of getting ready to have students come back where it was only 25% of the student population in over, you know, four days during the week. Yeah. Um, but our case of, cases have gone up in Maryland. Okay. And so they've hit the threshold that the, the school board set for what was safe. Mm -hmm. um, and so we've returned pretty much back to online instruction. Mm -hmm. um, but I will say our district did an awesome job preparing digital lessons for teachers, kind of knowing that we will be in this position um, potentially in the fall. And so a lot of work was done over the summer, um, but I'm still spending a ton of time <laughs> preparing and modifying lessons for uh, a 100% virtual learning situation. Mm -hmm. So is that what's really taking up your most time right now, just preparing for what you see coming? Yeah, I mean, you know, when you, you think about a whole research project that was done in a typical face-to-face -face setting, yeah. everything from, even though it was meant to be a, a blended learning situation, mm -hmm. um, when you transition that to 100% online, there's so much extra work that goes into making those changes. You know, you're adding video instructions and coming up with alternative presentation ideas and, you know, adapting what might have been a class discussion into something that works better for an online setting. So yeah, it's, it's a lot of extra planning. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, I've always thought of librarians as flexible, but now more than ever, you know, that's being called upon for us to, to from day to day, we just don't know what to expect. So yeah. Yeah. So, so it sounds like you are still doing a lot of work with students. Is that, do you do more with students right now? Cause I know at the beginning it was crazy and so much support for teachers, you know, that I was noticing librarians talk about. 
Yes. So yes, all of the, you know, technology, technological support. And we were, um, this was the first time that students were being given devices to take home. And so we were using our circulation system to scan devices. And so there was a lot of um, hardware support. There was a lot of um, technology support for teachers. And so yes, teachers are still super overwhelmed and they need lots of support and we are still providing that. Um, but we are also trying to make an effort to provide um, a solid research foundation, um, still hit those, those basic guidelines um, and standards that we would address during a typical school year okay. in a virtual setting. I don't know that we're always getting into classrooms as often as we would typically, just because of some of the constraints that I think teachers are feeling with online learning. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I, I worked with sixth grade this year. We did a research project, um, not quite the same way we, as we have done in the past, but, you know, we were still able to hit some of those foundational elements. So we're, we're trying to get in there with, with students. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Well, that's awesome. Okay. So you're in a little bit way you're describing the, you know, the influence we have, you know, we have a lot of influence on on what happens with you know teacher preparation and teacher training and what we do with our kids, but what what do you see as the kind of influence that you're able to do on your campus? Well, the first thing I think of is my students. Mm -hmm. um, when a student raises their hand in a class that is not yours and says, "Do we have to cite our sources?" <laughs> <laughs> then, then I feel like okay. I am actually having some influence here, right? I'm doing my job. Um, you know, that's that's always uh, a, a nice indicator for me. Um, but I, I am also involved in curriculum writing, like I mentioned before, um, which allows me to have some influence on the development of new lessons and revisions for our, our scope and sequence and our alignment with standards. Mm -hmm. um, I get super nerdy about all of that. Um, in fact, our elementary curriculum writers just finished adding a coding unit for first through fifth grade. So now at the middle school level, it's going to be our job to figure out where are we going to go from there? How are we going to build upon that um, scaffold things so that we can support students who are coming to us now with these new skills? That's awesome. Um, yeah. So and I, I've also worked um, I worked this past summer with our Office of Technology to develop Digital and uh, digital teaching and learning guidelines for our district specific to us based on um, the ISTE standards for educators. Perfect. So the goal is to kind of elevate the knowledge of all teachers when it comes to instructional technology because we were seeing a lot of, of gaps in, um, you know, we have a we have an online learning management system. Um, some teachers were using it extensively and some teachers were hardly using it at all. So we wanna try and raise everybody up to the same level instructionally so that there's equity among what students are receiving um, as they're learning from home. Yeah, okay. All right, so that's what you're doing now. And as you're kind of thinking about the future, is there anything that you're really wanting to work on next? I think especially with times like these, I think just providing a sense of normalcy for teachers and students is a huge goal. Um, you know, this might not be the year to try something totally new with a, a teacher or students. Um, I think 
I'm working really hard to build students' capacity to access and effectively navigate our digital collection of materials. Um, I worked to develop the middle school collection for our district Sora account last year, um, last, last spring to add audiobooks and eBooks. Um, and so now we're helping our students kind of adjust to this reading and listening to books online in a way that keeps them safe, um, but also allows them to have access to a really vibrant and diverse collection of materials. And that was a year, over a year ago, right? Before COVID? This was right after COVID. Right. So okay. right after things started to go into quarantine. So in April, okay. um, we identified that, okay, this is the time. Like we've talked <laughs> about it, we've wanted to do it. Now is the time to build the digital collection. And so um, I worked with an elementary and a high school librarian and we built out a district-wide collection that our students would be able to access. And so we you know, tested things out over the summer yeah. um, and then just ran with it this fall. And it's, it's been wonderful. It's been really, really great. Okay. And I'm, I'm also super lucky because I work with an awesome supervisor and I have an amazing team of progressive middle school librarians who yeah. are such a wonderful sounding board for ideas. And then we can take those ideas back to our respective schools and use our influence with the faculty to apply new technology tools or reading initiatives or you know, all the other ideas that we come up with as a group. We, we kind of work collaboratively um, with each other and then it allows that to kind of spread amongst the yeah. schools in our district. Yeah, that's good. A couple of weeks, you were talking about uh, creating a sense of normalcy. So it was a couple of weeks ago, I had a librarian from California named Tara and she was talking about how, how to do virtual clubs. And, and that just hadn't even crossed my mind because the same thing, she's, she was wanting her kids to have something normal you know, that they mm -hmm. could connect with. And I thought that's brilliant. Uh, and she even found some things like uh, for her drama club, there are, Zoom, there are plays that were created to do on Zoom. It's like, oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> right. I never would have thought of that. But, uh, and then another, she didn't mention this one, but another thing I was reading in one of our, our library groups on probably Facebook, somebody had, was doing, had hybrid classes. And so they were putting GoPros on kids' heads and letting them go to club meetings or go to, you know, events or different things. And, and the kids who were at home were getting to have like a kid's eye view of things. Mm -hmm. thought, oh, again, what a perfect way. <laughs> you know, to right. So. Yeah. Any, I mean, you know, anything that we can do right now to try and keep the day-to-day -day process of school and, you know, all of those extra things that students involve themselves in, you know, I have teachers that are running book clubs and um, student government is still meeting and planning things and we're doing spirit week from home and, yeah. you know, all those extras, they're what makes school kind of feel like school and um, without those, it's just not quite the same. Yeah, yeah, very true. Very, very true. All right, now, Sarah, you're somebody that I saw um, quite a while ago on, on social media. You know, you spend a lot of time on Instagram. I, we'll talk later about what else you might be on. But um, I know your big thing is branding. So talk to us a little bit about branding yourself as a librarian. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I use that word branding because that's the business term. Um, but rea the reality is in the library world, it's advocacy right? 
Um, most librarians want a visible and vibrant program. And to do that, we have to show people what it is we're actually doing. Okay. Even the students and teachers who use the library the most often don't have a true picture of what it is we actually do day in and day out. Mm -hmm. It's like putting in book orders, right? It takes time to read reviews and select materials that are gonna benefit our school community. But people never really know about that unless you share a snapshot of that process on a public public platform like social media. So, you know, as a new librarian, if you want to get a jump start on using branding strategies to increase the visibility of your school library program, um, you can get a copy of my first five steps to building your library brand workbook on my website at librarianinthemiddle.com. Um, and you can also click a link that you'll have in the show notes. Okay. So these five steps are essentially designed to get librarians thinking about what they need to first start the process of branding a library. Um, things like looking at your school's vision and mission and figuring out where your library program aligns with those goals and how you as a librarian can use those goals as the foundation for your program. Okay. Um, and the workbook takes you through each step and includes a page for you to work through each concept and generate ideas to help you determine your direction. Okay. Let me ask real quick. So is this sure. branding the library or branding the librarian? If, if there's. Yes, so. that's a great question. Okay. So this is branding the library. This okay. is, it's not. Um, yes, I'm, I'm kind of differentiating between the library itself and the librarian. Mm -hmm. The librarian becomes the voice for the library brand. Mm -hmm. And it's established so that if someone new was to come into your position, um, if you were to transition to another role, that somebody else could pick up the same yeah. um, brand essentially and continue forward with it without there being you know, any gap. Yeah. Um, I, and I want to clarify, it's not, it's not like a classroom theme, right? You see people with these beautiful classroom themes and they have all of these decorations and things. And then the next year they change it or they update it in a year or two. Um, this is, it's that visibility and identifiability, if that's even a word, um, that you get from, you know, a, a brand like Nike, right? That they have not changed their brand mm -hmm. that I can even think of, right? That that iconic image is what we think of. And so the idea is that you can apply a lot of those same strategies that businesses use in a library setting, allowing you to have a consistent, visible representation that becomes identifiable, that becomes something that students and faculty and administrators and parents in the community recognize um, as going along and fitting in as a part of the school as a whole. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, I'm also currently developing a course specifically for school librarians on how to go through this process of applying branding strategies to increase the visibility of their school library program um, with a, something that I'm calling a, my pathway to visibility. Um, and it's a much deeper dive into the specifics of library branding and how to apply the types of strategies that businesses use to a library program. Okay. Um, and so I'll have a, click, a link to that too in the show notes. And the wait list for that um, is going to be available soon. And the course is going to launch in January 2021. Okay. So you first you mentioned a guide. Is that like a free mm -hmm. handout kind of thing? Yep. That you can find? Okay. 
Yes, yes. So the the guide is a free workbook, um, and it takes you through five steps to kind of get get that process of thinking about you know how do you um, go about essentially advocating for your school library through visibility. Okay, very very good. All right, so let's go think back a little bit about the audience. Um, mm -hmm. What did you say were like some first steps people could start thinking about? For library branding? Yeah, for branding their library. Yeah, so one of the first things that you want to do is you want to think about um, and find your school's vision and mission, right. Okay. right? So you want you want your library to reflect the same goals and the same um, direction that your school does because you fall under that umbrella as being a part of the school. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's where it's, you know, different from branding the librarian right. versus the library, right? Because the library is is a part of the school. Um, so you want to make sure that your goals align with where the school's headed as well. Um, so that would be definitely like the first big step if you're somebody, somebody who's new, you want to find that information. And then once you know that, you can start figuring out, okay, what are my goals as a librarian for my program mm -hmm. and how do those align with where our school's headed okay and so many librarians I know they if they had graduate school in their state because not all of our states do that you know they're not mm -hmm. required but they probably had to write a vision and mission statement you know and and so they just need to figure out what you're saying to tie that back to you know their own school and it's amazing when you have a vision and mission it it guides even your budget you know you, you don't have Oh, okay. Right. I'm not going to spend my money here because it's really not aligned, you know, with what I'm saying I'm going to do. I am going to mm -hmm. spend it here. So vision mission, that is an awesome place um, to get. Yep. Very, very yeah, it's the, it's the whole foundation of where you want to go. And, you know, what I ended up doing was I took my school's vision and I use that as the same vision for the library, but our mission what the library is going to do specifically to meet that vision is okay, makes sense. You know, specific to our space. Yeah. Okay. Very, very good. All right. Okay. So as we're starting to wrap up our time, Sarah, is there, tell us a little bit about where do you go to, to keep learning and staying sharp as a librarian, or even as how you're thinking about branding, what, what do you recommend for the listeners? Well, I follow our state and local library organizations on social media. You know, I, I follow along with AASL and, um, you know, our Maryland Library Association. Um, and they all, always are putting out amazing information. So I like to start there because that really helps um, give you a bigger picture of where the field is headed as a whole. I think that does a, a really good job of, um, kind of giving you a starting point of what you might want to dive into a little bit more specifically. Um, and I follow, you know, people on Instagram um, is that's primarily where I spend most of my time is on Instagram. Um, it's, it's easy. It's simple. Um, and so, you know, I follow other, other school librarians uh, and the work that they're doing. Um, and a, a couple of people who do some work with graphic design and, um, marketing and those kinds of things. And then, you know, I, I look at everything with that school library lens, school mm -hmm. librarian lens um, and think, okay, they're doing, these people are doing this. What would that look like in my own library? Right. Um, and kind of 
filter, filter everything through that. Yeah. And I think that's so wise that we need to look at experts outside of our field to be able to grab those nuggets from marketing, you know, or the nuggets from business Mm -hmm. or from something else that we can, what you're doing, what you're saying, apply um, to our area. Okay. So you mentioned social media and the, with our listeners, if they're going to follow you on social media, are they following you as the individual librarian or are they going to follow you as the, your library that you have branded? So, yeah, that's a great question. So my, um, they would follow me as I am um, on Instagram at librarian in the middle. And um, because my target audience for my school library account is my students. Right. It's not other librarians. It's not, um, you know, people in the library social media world. It's really just geared towards my students. So um, if you want more information about library branding and um, applying some of these strategies, you would, you would follow me at librarian in the middle on I'm primarily on Instagram. Um, I have connected it to, to Facebook, but I um, most of those posts are, are through um, my, my Instagram account. Push through there, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so is there anything else that our listeners can, where else they might be able to find you? Sure, I have a website. Um, you can find me on my blog at librarianinthemiddle.com. Um, and then I also have links below for the first five steps to branding your school library workbook. That's the free workbook that you can download. Um, and that'll give you kind of a starting point. Um, and then you can join our Level Up Your Library Branding Bootcamp waitlist for uh, and look for that in January 2021. All right. So listeners, those of you who maybe are not as familiar with podcasts, if you'll if you'll get into the show notes, which are typically like the description area um, underneath where you just chose to listen or visit the website, www.larshinneman.com. If you'll go to our blog, you'll be able to find the show notes and you'll have these links there um, that you can click and be able to use. Um, but thank you so much, Sarah. You have shared so much practical advice today and um, because we want to be visible. You know, we want people to see what we're doing and to know the importance of that. And so I love that you're going to give us some action steps that we're going to be able to take. So thank you for your time. It's been an awesome talking to you today. Sure. Thank you. It's been wonderful to be here. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye.